In today's episode, I'm talking about a case that has puzzled investigators and haunted community for years. This is one of those cases that has unfortunately left more questions than answers and has left a community with the feeling of, is there something more sinister going on here? Join me as I explore the baffling disappearance of Amber Tuckerow, a young Indigenous woman whose story in many ways is still unraveling and spreading light on thousands of unsolved mysteries where justice remains out of reach. I'm Stephanie Morham, and this is Wicked Ever After. Since this also goes on YouTube, there's a lot of words I cannot say, such as sexual assault, sexual abuse, rape. So in those moments, you might hear me on the podcast say S.A. So I just wanted to give a heads up that as you're listening, um, you might hear something a little bit different. And that's only because I want to be able to post this on YouTube. On September 17th, 2010, on the outskirts of Edmonton, 20-year-old Amber Tuckerow and her companion, who I'm referring to as E, checked into the Nisku Motel close to the Edmonton International Airport. With Amber's 14-year-old son Jacob in tow, both women gathered their things and went about settling into their home away from home for the next couple of days. Amber, a resident of Fort McMurray, Alberta, had flown to Edmonton for reasons still unknown. It's unclear if she was visiting friends or perhaps family member or going to just get away. But whatever it was, she was on an adventure and excited to get into the big city. The next night, on August 18th, Amber decided to head into Edmonton. Again, the reasons for this are still unknown. Perhaps she was leaving to get food or pick up essentials they needed for Jacob. It's all speculation at this point, but something drove her to leave her son Jacob with E and set out to the big city. Being conservative with her cash flow, Amber decided it would be best to hitchhike a ride to Edmonton. Between 7.30 and 8 p.m. that evening, Amber got into an unknown truck with an unknown man, trusting she'd make it safely to Edmonton, aka the big city. This is the last time Jacob and E would ever see Amber alive. Amber Alyssa Tuckerow was born on January 3rd, 1990, and was part of the Alberta's Mishoe Cree First Nation. The plan was for Amber to be adopted by one of her birth parents' family members, and so when she was just three days old, her adopted family arrived to pick her up. Her new parents made the trek to high-level Alberta to meet their new daughter, As the parents of four boys, this was a daughter they had been dreaming of for a very long time. Amber's brother, Billy Joe, remembers getting the call to come home to meet his little sister, reporting that it was one of the happiest days of his life. His parents, like I said, dreamed of a daughter, but he and his brothers had equally dreamed of having a little sister themselves. It seems it was love at first sight. Amber started her new life in Fort Chip as part of the Mishoe Cree First Nation Reserve and fit right in with her four brothers, Paul, Billy Joe, Conrad, and Justin. While there isn't any known info on her father, Amber's adoptive mom, Vivian, who goes by Tootsie, was thrilled to have the daughter she always dreamed of. 
But Amber's early life wasn't always rainbows and butterflies. Both of Amber's parents were in residential schools growing up. According to the oldest brother, Paul, the trauma from their time in the residential schools definitely impacted the family, leading to some turmoil in the family. Unable to repair the damage, Tootsie and her husband divorced when Amber was only a toddler. Despite the divorce and the family adjustment, Amber remained happy, go-lucky. She loved music and making people laugh. Her family, including nieces and nephews, were her biggest source of pride. And as she and her brothers got older, she maintained strong relationships with them and created new ones with their spouses. She loved being an aunt. Friends and family often described her as fiercely independent and a resourceful young woman. Later, when she became a mother herself to Jacob, Amber's mom, Tootsie, reflected on the deep love she had for her son, describing him as her everything. She was loving, caring mother and young woman, said Tootsie. Being a woman herself and understanding the potential dangers of the world, Tootsie was constantly teaching Amber how to be safe and how to navigate potentially harmful situations. One piece of advice she often gave to Amber on numerous occasions was if she was going to hitchhike to pretend to be on the phone with someone, even if no one was on the other line, because thinking someone was on the other end of the phone call would deter a predator from making any moves. Tootsie didn't realize it at the time, but this advice would soon be a big puzzle piece in the mystery that laid ahead. In 2010, Amber and her son were living with her mom in Fort McMurray. She was back and forth between the Unity House in Alberta and her mom's home. The Unity House offers emergency accommodations, support, and services for women and children fleeing domestic violence. This could potentially lead us to believe that Amber was a victim of domestic violence from Jacob's father or another person in her life, but there's really not enough information out there to confirm or deny this. This is purely speculation based on the fact that she was staying part-time at the Unity House. Despite having two places of shelter, Amber was probably feeling exhausted from the back and forth and was desperate for a place of her own to raise Jacob. According to Amber's brother, the Unity House would help women find their housing in a quick manner, so it's likely Amber was hoping to soon be placed in her home. While staying at the Unity House, Amber met E. It doesn't appear that the two of them became BFFs, and it seemed to be more of acquaintances. Many reported that they didn't seem to know each other very well, but had met a time or two. Again, there's so much conflicting information out there, but this is the gist of the information. Due to the nature of their relationships, it did seem a little odd when they decided to take the trip to Edmonton, a trip many people would take with like a close friend or a family member, not just an acquaintance. As with a lot of things in this case, much remains unknown about who invited who, what the real reasons for the trip were, and why they decided to go together. There's been some speculation that perhaps in order to save money, they went to Edmond together for separate reasons, but would save money on hotels or motels if they stayed together. Again, just a theory, but one that would make sense of why you would fly with someone you weren't super close to. Amber's mother questioned her about her trip to Edmonton and offered to keep Jacob at her place while Amber was traveling, but Amber declined and decided to keep her son with her. 
In mid-August, with the baby strapped in, suitcases packed, and itinerary in hand, Amber and E flew off to Edmonton. So fast forward to Niscube Motel. The sounds of planes leaving and arriving at the airport are likely overheard. The sun is setting and E has just witnessed Amber entering an unknown vehicle on her way into the city. Time started to pass and back in Fort McMurray, Tootsie notices she's gone a while without a text from Amber. The texts, which had been coming in on a regular basis, had abruptly stopped. Tootsie knew her daughter well and immediately recognized this as out of character for Amber. As the sun went down on the 18th and peeked back out on the morning of the 19th, Amber had never returned to the hotel. There are conflicting reports on whether, upon feeling concerned, Tootsie called E first or if E called Tootsie when Amber never came back to the motel. But either way, it soon became crystal clear that something had gone wrong. And Tootsie states that E kept changing her story about when Amber left and if she actually came home or not. At one point, I think she might have told Tootsie that she was back at the motel and then changed her story again. Again, there are so many conflicting reports on this. Tootsie immediately called the RCMP, aka the Royal Canadian Mountain Police, to report Amber missing. Upon calling, she was informed that she had to wait 24 hours before officially reporting an individual missing. The police assumed because she was young, and I'm going to say indigenous, that surely she must be out partying and would return to the motel in due time. In my opinion, Amber's case wasn't taken seriously from the beginning for many reasons, but I think one of the biggest reasons was because she was indigenous. After the 24-hour mark, an official missing persons case was open and informal investigation began. However, in a stunning twist, eight days later on August 28th, the case was closed after reports of a sighting of Amber. I've read conflicting stories about the sightings of Amber and where exactly she was, but according to Paul in his statement during the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls, someone had reported spotting Amber on the Alexander Reserve. It's widely believed that the sighting was never attempted to be properly confirmed, and it appears the police just took the witness at their word, deciding it was enough to close the case and take Amber off the missing persons list, resulting in no more investigative efforts. This left many to be puzzled as to why they would do this. Meanwhile, following Amber's disappearance, E, who was still with Jacob at the motel, and we don't know how long E was at the motel and when this took place, but Nonetheless, she decided to take Jacob to family services. There's a small kid whose mother is now missing. He's in a strange, unfamiliar place. And instead of ensuring that Jacob gets back to the care of Tootsie, his grandmother in Fort McMurray, she decides the best place for him is the custody of child and family services. E's decision to do this resulted in Tootsie having a very hard time to get Jacob back. And I imagine she might have had to go through the courts. Again, just speculation. I work for Child and Family Services, so I think that's what they would have done. But who knows? But whatever the case, it was hard for Tootsie to get Jacob back. It's just a really odd decision for E to make, considering the heightened fear and stress at the time. Piling on one more thing that Tootsie had to worry about while Amber is missing. Just appears a little out of touch and inconsiderate. But perhaps there was... Other circumstances at play that were never reported or spoken about. 
Since Amber was taken out of the database, all of her belongings from the motel were lifted, unprocessed, and destroyed without the family's knowledge. This resulted in all potential evidence being lost and the family left without their loved one's belongings. They didn't even get the chance to hold on to something that might have been of sentimental value. Another seemingly cruel blow to the devastated family. Tootsie, unable to accept that her daughter's case had been closed, spent an entire month trying to get Amber back in the missing persons database. After a month, she was successful, but they had already lost crucial investigation time since no one in law firm, since no one in law enforcement had actually been actively pursuing leads, gathering information and evidence or looking for her. Frustration grew within the family on how the case was handled as precious time kept slipping away. According to some sources, it was a month, and for other sources, it was four months before the RCMP waited an abnormally long time to interview anyone involved with the case, including Tootsie and E. Most of the time, this would have been done immediately. This really just proves, to me, the incredible neglect and urgency of this case. As the days turned into weeks and the weeks into months, a growing sense of hopelessness began to settle in. There was no new developments and zero reports of any leads. Amber seemed to have vanished in the wind. In August 2012, two years after Amber's disappearance, a 60-second audio was released by the police. In the audio, Amber is heard speaking to the man she got in the car with, a man they now believe killed her. It appears that Tootsie's phone call advice while hitchhiking was taken seriously and that Amber placed a call in hopes of keeping herself safe. I'm going to play the recording now. You can just hear the fear and uncertainty in her voice. It's super chilling knowing this might have been the last hours of her life. The actual audio is approximately 17 minutes long, but the police only released 60 seconds for reasons unknown. It's also unclear who was on the other end of Amber's call, but in many articles that I read, it's presumed to be her brother, which brother, I have no idea, who was incarcerated at the time in the Edmonton Remam Center. This theory has gained a lot of traction because in the earlier months of 2010, the same year Amber was taken, the center began recording all outgoing calls made by inmates, which means if Amber was on the phone, her entire conversation would have been recorded explaining how police got the hands on it. As with all things in this investigation, it's also strange that only 60 seconds of what appears to be a lengthy recording was released to the public, instead of the entire thing. You would think that releasing all of it would only help the community be able to identify the man. The more everyone learned about this case, the more suspicious, in my opinion, (laughs) the police appeared. Four days after the audio was released on September 1st, Amber's remains were found. Horseback riders found her partial skeletal remains, including a skull in a farmer's field in Leduc. Next, I'm going to play Billy Joe, Amber's brother, speak at a news conference in March 2023 on APNT News. The family was speaking with reporters at this new conference to provide an update on the case. Because so much time had passed, the decomposition of Amber's remains was well underway, making it impossible for investigators to determine cause of death. Therefore, her death was just classified as a homicide based on the circumstances in which she disappeared. In an eerie dose of fate, 
Amber's remain were found a 17-minute drive away from her last known location, the same length as a recorded phone call. This fact makes the full recorded phone call even more intriguing. After the release of the audio, multiple people came forward claiming to recognize and know the man whose voice was on the audio. Some have even gone as far as to publicly release the possible suspect's name. Apparently, the voice they recognized is a known sex offender. The RCMP claimed to have investigated this man and determined that he was not a suspect or a person of interest. I'm kind of at a loss. This man is a known sex offender and has lured women to his ranch and essayed them. How could that not be a person of interest? I don't know if how much they interviewed him, but crazy to me. Sometime after the remains were discovered, Amber's family asked that they be exhumed and tested for DNA. The plan was to use Jacob's DNA to confirm, due to doubts they had about the remains actually belonging to Amber. They stated that the unusual speed at which the decomposing remains were identified and potential differences between dental records made them doubt the accuracy of the identification. After extensive research, I was unable to find if her remains were tested for DNA. At this point, maybe they have, or maybe the family is still harboring questions that Amber has actually been found. I'm really unsure, but I hope it was done so the family can try to find some sort of closure and peace. After Amber's remains were found, four other women's partial remains were found within a few kilometers of each other in Ladue County. The four women are Edna Bernard, who went missing on September 22, 2002, Sylvia Ballantyne, who went missing on April 28, 2003, Dolores Browser, who went missing on May 15, 2004, and Corey Audenbrett, who went missing on May 9, 2004. All four of these beautiful souls are Indigenous women, and all four of them were thought to have been hitchhiking at the time they went missing. Discovering these remains raised the question of a possible serial killer operating in the area, but no formal connection has ever been made between the five cases. In 2013, the RCMP placed two billboards in the area where the remains were found, hoping to generate new tips, but nothing came out of this effort. Tootsie had once stated in an article, Amber wasn't the best singer, but she loved singing. She drove me crazy. She'd be like, mom, one of these days you aren't You aren't going to be laughing when I'm going to be a big star. I'll be on one of those big boards and stuff like that. Tootsie continued. Now to see all of this, she's on a billboard, but not the way we would have liked. I can't imagine the devastation Tootsie must feel. And it's truly just so heartbreaking. In 2014, fed up with how the investigation was being conducted, the Tuckerow family made a complaint with the RCMP Civilian Review and Complaints Commission about how the RCMP handled Amber's case. They waited years for a response of any kind, which seemed to be par for the course for this family. Finally, in 2018, a response to the complaint noted that deficiencies were found in the RCMP investigation into Amber's murder. Later, the family revealed some of the details found in the 120-page report that was released to them. And in it, it stated, the commissioner found that the investigation into Amber Tuckerow was deficient and that various members 
were either not properly trained or did not adhere to the training and the various members did not comply with policies, procedures, and guidelines. A year later, in 2019, the RCMP issued a formal apology, but Tootsie didn't accept it, believing they only gave an apology because they were told to do so, not because they were actually happy. Hard to blame her on that one. In 2020, just three years ago, a man came forward on Facebook claiming that his father had killed Amber and was connected to multiple other murders and missing person cases in the area. This prompted the police to investigate his claims, but unfortunately, many of the cases he referred had been closed and had no connection to each other, deeming him unreliable. The RCMP noted this man had made false allegations against his father in the past, but said they will continue to investigate the claims. I've been unable to find the original Facebook post to read it word for word or to provide further detail, but as of now, no arrests have been made in relation to Amber's case. With such a botched investigation and multiple red flags throughout this case, it is impossible to know what really happened to Amber. Because of the mysteries surrounding this case, multiple theories have emerged about who might have done it and what might have happened. An obvious one to me is that the police were somehow involved in her disappearance and then proceeded to conduct a shoddy investigation because they were covering up for their crimes. This would explain why this case was handed so poorly from the get-go. This is all my opinion about the police and total speculation. There have been rumblings that E might have been involved or that Amber was the victim of an SA offender and or a serial killer who may or may not have been on the prowl. According to one Reddit user, they believe their murderer had to have been a local based on the directions that were given in the recording and the layout of the roads where her remains were discovered. Due to the nature of the terrain and roads, her killer had to have had extensive knowledge of the area and the roads. This could mean they were local or it could mean it was a serial killer from a different town that was familiar with that area and used it as his personal playground. At this point, all we can do is speculate. We're left with wondering what might have happened if Amber had gotten the fair and prompt investigation she deserved. Could she have been saved? Could have others been saved? We just don't know. Something I do know is according to the Assembly of First Nations website, Indigenous women are four times more likely than non-Indigenous women to be victims of violence. Indigenous women make up 16% of all female homicide victims and 11% of missing women. Yet, Indigenous people make up only 4.3% of the population of Canada. I hope that staggering statistic stirs your heart in the same way that it does mine. As a fellow woman, I hope we're angered enough to do something and to research how we can have a hand in changing it. It doesn't matter the color of our skin or our background or our heritage. We are all women. And I hope it's that bond of womanhood we can band together and help keep each other safe. Today, over a decade since Amber Tuckerow vanished, her family continues to fight for justice. The pain of not knowing her fate lingers and the resilience remains unyielding, refusing to let Amber's story fade away. Amber's son Jacob is being raised by Tootsie and is 14 years old. I'm sure he has been lavished with stories about his beautiful, happy-go-lucky mother who dreamed of being a singer and loved him more than anything on earth. It's through him her memory will be kept alive. The disappearance of Amber Tuckerow 
is a heart-wrenching mystery that has left countless questions in its wake. Was she a victim of human trafficking, an act of violence, or something else entirely? After all this time, the truth remains unknown. Please stay safe, and as we leave this episode, we want to remember Amber Tuckerow and the many other Indigenous women who have gone missing, their loved ones left waiting for answers. I hope that by shining a light on these stories, I can bring attention to these cases and keep the flame of hope alive. Those with information regarding the case can contact Alberta RCMP at 780-412-5261 or Leduc RCMP at 780-980-7267. Tips can also be called into Project Care at 1-877-415273 or submitted anonymously via Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. Please let me know what you think of the case of Amber Tuckerow in the comments. You can also hit the subscribe button on YouTube or whatever platform you are listening. You can stay connected with me on Instagram and TikTok at This is Stephanie Morrow.